Welcome to Sam for Uncut, a show where we talk about developer community, developer tools, DevOps, and all things related to development. Today with us, we have Jason von Breckel. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. And yeah, there's the first step. Feel free to go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. So I am Jason Van Brackel. I am the director of community at Rancher Labs, which is just a really fancy title for I work with the open source community, you know, people who use the Rancher project who aren't necessarily you know, supportive clients. So everything from content generation to hand-to-hand combat with developers and operators working with the software. Mm-hmm. Great, great. And we were just talking, and uh, you have another project on the side, if I remember correctly, the YouTube channel that you started the while ago. Oh, yeah. So actually, this is under the Rancher umbrella. Uh-huh, so I okay. started a, I started the RanchCast, and it's on YouTube and Mixer and Twitch, just the RanchCast. And the idea was I wanted an intimate way of talking to the operations development communities, the idea of automating all the things. I'm a huge DevOps practitioner. My background originally was in software development, spent the better part of 15, 16 years doing everything from Java Oracle to PHP, and then a whole bunch of time doing everything from VB5 all the way up through .NET Core. And then got into architecture and DevOps later as a result of getting into architecture and then getting into the last startup I was with prior to my time with Rancher Labs. But I realized that as companies have adopted Kubernetes, there's that let's get started point. I mentioned to you, I, we do these Rancher rodeos and they're Kubernetes 101 and Rancher 101. And when people start to realize the scope of what they're getting into, not just Kubernetes, but all the other things attached to it, they get this look and it's that, that pop quiz moment that I walked into the classroom in seventh grade and I sat down and the teacher announced a pop quiz and I didn't study. <laughs> And so a lot of what I'm doing with the RanchCast is walking with operators, developers to prepare for the quiz. You know, all those other things beyond just Kubernetes that matter. Mm-hmm. Is it a, a weekly thing that you do? Is it a regular schedule or it's... Uh... Yeah, every week, I, I just did it this morning. So we record to YouTube. It's uh, youtube.com slash C slash the RanchCast. Mm-hmm. And like I said... It's Twitch, the RanchCast, it's Mixer, the RanchCast, and it's every week. Right now, it's on Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. I'm going to switch that up because we have a lot of people who are using, you know, who are watching, who are West Coast or Europe, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to, you know, bounce back and forth to try to meet all the time zones. It's one of those things with being an international company. <laughs> we have users in East Asia, and we have users in the Pacific time in the United States, and they're in different days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you should work on a few shifts, not just one shift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, I already have insomnia. What, who needs sleep? Yeah. Okay. So, Rancher, maybe maybe you can walk us through what it is, what's the vision, what's the problem you're trying to solve, and also maybe throw a bit of history and, you know, how it ended up where it is right now. Sure thing. So the Rancher Project is one of the projects under Rancher Labs. It's an open source project. I believe it's Apache 2 licensed alongside other projects like K3S, like Longhorn. All these projects are designed to essentially make Kubernetes easier. I don't remember if you know the Staples commercial. They had this easy buttons and you hit the easy button and said that was easy. It was in the States. The buttons were annoying, but they end up in everyone's office. But we want to be that easy button for Kubernetes. So yeah, you, you would install Rancher and it has a nice Rust API and a pretty UI and makes it really easy to automate, to use the metaphor, to make your Kubernetes clusters cattle and not pets. Mm-hmm. Because that was one of the disturbing things I've seen as a DevOps practitioner is that as people are adopting Kubernetes, they're treating their Kubernetes clusters as if they're pets, which is the whole thing we tried to get out of in the first place. 
that's the idea between with Rancher. It's just an easy button for Kubernetes. As far as history, the Rancher project started as you know an add-on for Docker Swarm. Docker was the first game in town. I love Docker Swarm. I was teaching you know Windows containers and Docker Swarm mm-hmm. prior to that being a thing in Kubernetes, and the user experience was great, but there were issues with scale. And so Rancher Labs then developed their own orchestrator called Cattle. And then it was Cattle and Docker Swarm side by side. And then later Kubernetes and Mesosphere. And then as we started collecting telemetry, we noticed about half of our user base was Cattle and the other half was Kubernetes. And we watched the market doing this pivot towards Kubernetes. And, you know, we weren't the only ones to take notice. We're seeing that now with Mesosphere going to D2IQ. Microsoft did it several years ago, moving from ACS, their Azure Container Service, to AKS, their Azure Kubernetes Service, dropping Mesosphere and Docker Swarm from the offering. Rancher Labs made the same decision with Rancher. 2X Project was a rewrite, recognition of where the market was going, and also the decision that you know, we'd rather not have to support our own orchestrator that you know, while was great, you know, would require development hours and support Kubernetes as well. So the cut was made, Kubernetes is supported, and 2X was a rewrite that is now custom resource definitions and first-class Kubernetes objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, in that easy button, you get the pretty UI and easy way to get started. I watched one of the hands-on that you did recently. It was focused on uh, service mesh and Istio. Is that something which is a, a part of a rancher as a kind of a oh. default installation or add-on? Or Actually, that's one of the new features coming out in 2.3. Yeah, we're on the 2.2 ranch right now. We previewed the Istio feature. We've recently previewed new Windows Server Containers feature. And we will be previewing in our online meetup uh, cluster templates. So a lot of the innovations we're making are based on what the community is asking for and what our clients are asking for. So, you know, we have somewhere between 20 and 30,000 teams using Rancher based on our telemetry mm-hmm. and several hundred that are paying for it from a support standpoint. Their ideas aren't always ours. Sometimes it's just the community saying, hey, we want Istio. You know, if the community were saying we want Linkerd, we'd be doing Linkerd. The community says, hey, we want Istio support. So we've added an easy button to launch Istio. When we launched 2.2, you know, the conversation was, hey, we want to make Grafana and Prometheus easier. So from Prometheus and Grafana are now a push of a button within Rancher, you know, setting the 80% use case. You know, there's going to be these edge cases with anything where, you know, your organization needs something other than the 80% case. We set the same defaults in the 80% case, not to stop you from doing your own thing. It's just if you want to get started and not have to worry about, you know, standing up Grafana, standing up Prometheus, standing up SDO, standing up Prometheus Alert Manager, you know, we can do these things for you. Yeah. And that resonates very well with me because, you know, Prometheus and all that part of the stack, when we kind of started using Kubernetes, it was one of the, I don't know, a bit of a pain point for us to learn how to install, manage and all that. So, yeah. In the end, we did some things and some things we just, you know, postponed or <laughs> canceled. And, uh, yeah. It's one of those things like you learn and you deploy and you learn and you deploy and then you iterate to a better solution because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And then you have to maintain it also <laughs> when you install it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kelsey Hightower said it last night on Twitter, you know, talking about, you know, when you're trying to create everything as cattle and not pets, that automation you're creating to help you create your cattle a becomes a hobby and a project within itself. And we're all doing that. We're all creating our side projects to help with the automation of all the other things. It's part of what I'm doing on the RegCast is trying to get sane defaults around 
all the other things so that it's not, you know, your side project and my side project and this organization side project, but we have a shared reference architecture for lack of a better term for a way to get started that is enterprise ready and, you know, has some options where, you know, we're unopinionated on which solution or we'll pick some solutions or have multiple solutions, but we're just opinionated as to quality and scale. Yeah, I understand. And the thing that you mentioned, uh, it was a cluster templates, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not following very close latest development in Kubernetes. Is it something that's okay. coming straight from the Kubernetes as a project, or it's something that you are? This is an add-on. This is a new feature for Rancher that will. I haven't looked under the covers to see how it's built yet, mm -hmm. but the idea is just you know is being able to spec out a cluster template and then just reuse it over and over again. Uh, and that's where the development's going. I watched an engineering preview of it, and you know, monthly we do an online meetup where that's what they're going to be demoing this month and talking about at a deeper level is the, is the cluster templating feature. It's that goal to make sure that your clusters are cattle, just like your nodes are cattle. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It seems to, in my head, connected maybe to the reference architecture that you were talking about, that you are building as a community project. Maybe you can pitch us the idea of what's the goal. The goal is so that you can adopt this automation, run the automation script for your specific uh, infrastructure, and it stands up a Kubernetes cluster. It installs Ranch on the Kubernetes cluster. It then sets up a, you know, a reference cluster, for lack of a better term, and you push the button for the logging option you want, or configuration for the logging option you want, for the monitoring option you want, for the CI/CD option that you want, for tracing and for debugging, to have all those tools that your DevOps teams, that your business needs end-to-end -end so that you just get started. But also to have you know, some of the best practices around a secure cluster around secure communications between CI, CD, and the cluster itself, you know, that way, when you're adopting this framework, it's one of those things that will pass not just the scale test, but also the enterprise InfoSec team test, where if they CIS benchmark it, it's not going to get flagged up the wazoo, and that if they, they scan it with Sonoboy, the tool CNCF uses for Kate's compliance, that it also passes that as well. It's a class of the things that most of the people don't want to mess around with. Yeah. The amount of shadow IT I've witnessed during my enterprise career and the amount that I've created <laughs> to get around such things. Yeah, I was that guy. <laughs> Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will point the finger right back to myself to try to get around all the enterprise barriers to just get stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there are just so, so many things. And yeah, it's kind of... Uh, very natural instinct to try to get around those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you mentioned that you did a lot of teaching when the whole kind of Docker thing was starting and so on. In uh, generally teams, development teams, uh, starting with Kubernetes and with Rancher, what are some of the patterns that maybe you can share with adopting? What are the things that are yeah. hard for you people know, to, yeah. I've gotten this question three times. Well, not this specific one, but the question that I'm hearing the most is how do I go from you know, my monolith to microservices. Mm -hmm. That's the one I keep hearing over and over again because Kubernetes is a buzzword or Kubernetes is a marketing term. And alongside that, they're hearing DevOps is a buzzword and they're hearing microservices architecture is a buzzword. Well, one, they're still learning what those things actually are versus the marketing around them. But then how to get from point A to point B. I worked in a big financial for a while where they had .NET and Java and VB6 and automated access and mainframe stuff, like stuff that was written in you know, Fortran and COBOL, 
still in production, and I was only there, you know, six, seven years ago. It wasn't that long ago. (laughs) How do I go from the monolith to microservice? And I'm doing some talks on this at some conferences coming up soon. And what I'm finding is that there's one thing that everybody tries, and it almost always fails. It's the rewrite. So existing service and their existing software and they start to adopt this rewrite and they think it's a great idea we can undo all the mistakes that we made and make whole new mistakes and the problem is that you know one you still have the existing thing that still needs to be supported and featured and add things to and you alienate that team because usually you create some new team that might pull from the old team but have some newer people to it so the old team is like oh are we being replaced Or even worse, you take that team and they're building a new thing, so the old thing gets neglected. Like, there's lots of reasons that goes wrong. I see domain-driven design behind you, Eric Evans' book. There's a great pattern in in there for that, and it's the anti-corruption layer. The idea of the anti-corruption layer being that you have, you know, system A and system B, and there's this layer in between that is the communication for all of them. 20 years ago, that'd be like an enterprise service bus or something like that. Now, that's an API. Use the REST API, but it's some sort of a shared API. And what's the API or pieces of the API, and then those pieces are serviced by the old thing, you know, the legacy app, the legacy apps, the framework, and then you start adding microservices for other API calls. And then slowly you break off a chunk of the legacy app or the mainframe app or whatever. So the API stays relatively static. You know, you do same things about API development, but over time you're slowly breaking off chunks of the legacy app and moving that into distributed microservices. Eventually, you're at a point where either you've completely replaced the old thing or you have just enough of the old thing around because it's just too darn expensive to replace that piece. Like, you still need that little bit of Cobol or Fortran left, that little bit of EB6 around that just is not going to die because it's just too expensive to move. Maybe you don't have the source code anymore, and it's just that executable is going to sit there and run until it just dies, and then you're really hosed. Yeah, but... It also stood the test of time, so it's like very well tested. So if those yes. pieces can be nicely isolated and you don't have to touch them very often, then yeah. What you mentioned about going straight into, okay, now we'll have these, you know, seven or whatever on the first day microservices yeah. and all that alienation of the team and all the social aspects that can happen. It seems to me that it's a lot about time. How fast do you want to move or you would like to? Because that transition from having that monolith, that monolith is going to be around for years. So it's probably like a five-year journey. Uh, yeah, the journey is the right word for it. It's not a revolution. It's a slow evolution. These are things that we say over and over again in our field. But that's just because we learned how not to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We made those mistakes and we try to tell others not to make the same mistakes that we did. Yeah, and in terms of adoption of these technologies, I can share a, a brief story of what I'm seeing. So there are still a lot of companies that are not using Docker in any way. Some great engineering teams have, you know, very high test coverage percentage of their application, you know, use all the coding standards, all that. But, you know, deploying that application to wherever, let's say Heroku or, or somewhere else is still just fine. It's easy and so on. What I'm seeing in the field where I'm kind of operating is that people would love to get that isolation in the CI/CD, not to be bound to the VMs that we have and what is pre-installed and what is not, but they want their own version of libopenSSL and the Ruby compiled with that particular version. And Docker is great for that. And then what happens that they adopt Docker for the purposes of CI/CD. <laughs> However, it's still not used, you know, to deploy. I mean, for me, it's surprising. 
to see that. And I was kind of asking this question, I was kind of going in that direction of like, my guess is that there are people and teams who are not using Docker, but want to use Kubernetes. So there are a couple of steps that they have to you know, jump over and they are not even counting on those. Are you seeing that maybe in practice? Absolutely. I did a hands-on lab with Philly.net last month on just Docker fundamentals. It was a fairly full room of developers and operators who had not touched containers yet. But they worked for organizations that had fairly mature CICD in the ways they have CICD. And that's how I got into Docker as well. I was automating test pipelines because, for example, Atlassian's, um, what is it, Atlas SDK has its own Maven. And so just copying out the binaries created by that was a lot easier than creating a VM for a test machine for you know, on an agent that I didn't use for anything else. So that's how I got into it too. There's a lot of the enterprise, a lot of developers who have not touched containers yet and are getting into it from a top-down standpoint where they're being told, okay, we're adopting Kubernetes, go learn containers. <laughs> and there's, there is a disconnect there. And conceptually, containers are so different from you know, VMs, especially if you're coming from a Windows background. There are a lot of Windows developers out there who, you know, the whole concept of a container and C groups and namespaces and all of that is just lost on them. Microsoft has done such a good job of abstracting out the underlying substrate from the development cycle using tools like Visual Studio. They haven't had to think about that. I jumped into the Kubernetes world, and all of a sudden I had to think about the OSI model and layer four versus layer seven. I hadn't thought about that in years because the tooling that I was so used to that I was getting my job done with, those weren't concerns of mine. I was building code in my CICD and shipping off a binary off to an ops team that was then deploying that into production. And nowhere did I have to worry about that part of the process. But in adopting Kubernetes, you know, if you're really adopting Kubernetes as a service, you have to understand a larger percentage of that entire workflow from zero to production. In most of the conversations that I have on the Uncut and generally we end up in this area where it's a, you know, a question, is it making my life easier or harder? <laughs> I have to learn more. <laughs> so how do you see I, that? I'm a huge proponent of continual self-improvement, continual learning. And I think there will always be a place for the developer who keeps one skill and does it for 20 years, but that's going away more. And I think the concept of the full stack developer is also a myth as well. There's too much stack to be a full stack developer. But what it does mean is that it goes back to DevOps. We have to have teams with mutual accountability and mutual communication and mutual collaboration, and we're developing applications together. So we have cross-cutting skills and cross-cutting and we're leveling up one another because there's just too much of it for one person to handle or five people to handle to do it at scale. The complexities come with scale are, you know, beyond what I was imagining when I got into like e-commerce back in the late 90s. Yeah. And in terms of making Kubernetes easier, what are maybe some exciting projects that you see that are coming or are maybe here? I'm touching this every time there is a lot of YAML. There is a lot of configuration that you have to know and understand. So I'm all the time waiting for something, you know, easy with UI to come along and um, I don't have to do that. Well, Rancher is really good for that because you can push buttons in the UI and spit out YAML and reuse it. It gives you the ability to learn Kubernetes and having to adopt Kubernetes all at once. 
and then gives you the room because it's a very unopinionated project as to how you do Kubernetes. Like it'll ingest an AKS cluster, for example, or like I went as far to ingest an OpenShift cluster once. It will do that. So it's Kubernetes your way, but it's Kubernetes your way with some safeguards and some side rails and some, you know, suggested ways of using it. But it's not in the way so much that you can't go into your own really powerful custom thing if you want. You know, if you're a Kubernetes expert, you'll have value in Rancher. If you're a noob, there's value in Rancher. It's why I ended up working there because I had built out Prometheus by hand to do the monitoring and I'm still somewhat sane. I lost most of my sanity, but I'm still a little bit sane. I can teach these one concept at a time without having to teach all of it at once. Some of the storage solutions are coming out on the open source side. I, um, I'm enjoying OpenEBS. I'm enjoying Longhorn, Rancher's project from an easy use perspective. I also like some of the commercial stuff out of there. I think what Portworks is doing in the storage space is really compelling. In the Kubernetes space, what's happening with the development of cluster API and the ability to you know, clusters as code from a Kubernetes standpoint is really exciting. And then my own personal thing, because the idea that I could take my monolithic ASP Classic app, get that into a container and into production, and then I can do that monolithic microservice breakdown with having containers being my starting point and Kubernetes being my orchestrator is just, you know, like there's so much legacy software built in everything from VB through .NET that's going to be out there that it's going to be hard to go to microservice because Windows is a factor. So that's really exciting to me as well. Yeah, I, I see some parallels here. Us doing CI/CD, we like to say, so when you create a new repository, the next team you need to set up your CI/CD before you uh, have a single line of code. You know, a test is verify if you have a README file <laughs> or something yep. like that, but you have established that and then you're going to deploy it as a next step. So what you're saying with, uh, for instance, this maybe metaphor that you had with the VB6 application yeah. is that you could say that, hey guys, you want to move from monolith to microservices? Well, the first step is probably, you know, put your monolith in a container which will be in the Kubernetes cluster, and then you will have a kind of a playground around. You can then easily interact with your monolith and layer things Exactly. Yeah. Instead of having to deal with multiple operating system paradigms where you're dealing with the Windows operating system paradigm and you're dealing with the Linux operating system paradigm, Kubernetes is becoming the kernel. The flavor of Kubernetes you're using, whether it be an AKS cluster or something on-prem, becomes your operating system. And then the container is becoming your application sandbox. You know, when the starting point for deployment and scale becomes the container, it simplifies a lot of things from development all the way through production, especially as you're breaking up the monolith. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting how development and ops are kind of mixed and how sometimes development is enabling something in the operation side and how something on the operation side, such as uh, Kubernetes, is enabling a lot of things on the development side. And we have to be. There is a human pain factor involved in doing development poorly. Yeah. The development death marches, the 90-hour weeks to get something out the door because you know we bought into a timeline that we knew we couldn't get to, and the business is forcing us on it. Well, that's real human pain. It's time away from kids. It's time away from the hobbies that we love. So to have that thing where we're developing something and throwing it over the wall, and they're you know trying to do deployment and then calling you back, like that's wasteful. It's wasteful. You know, the work that we're doing, the software developing is, you know, that's us turning our life energy, our time into code and eventually the money for somebody, hopefully for us as well. So if we're going to spend all that time and energy to do that, it should be fun. It should be simple. It should be fun. So that requires, like I said, a shared accountability for production software. And I know I'm kind of all over the place here with that, but it starts with 
empathy for our users, empathy for our fellow developers, empathy for our operations teams is a really important cross-cutting concern that we have to do because we're empathetic to the needs of others. Yeah, it has to be really a properly set up on a solid and, you know, grounds and of a mutual respect and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, otherwise it shakes and it breaks down. Okay, and you mentioned two projects that I want to ask about before we wrap up. So K3S is one of the very interesting projects in my Twitter timeline. I'm seeing a lot of people playing with K3S. There is always some Raspberry Pi included and some a lot of hobby projects. Yeah. And you mentioned yeah. Longhorn. So I think I know what K3S is, but maybe you can reintroduce K3S and Longhorn also. Sure. So the K3S project, it's a Kubernetes distribution that is meant to be you know, really lightweight. So we ripped out about 3 million lines of code from Kubernetes, both you know, code and test code. So things like alpha features, things have been deprecated, all the cloud provider stuff. The idea is you know, tiny, lightweight, and if there's something that we need, we should either be able to CSI plug in or some sort of plug-in model to get it. It was designed with small footprint in mind, whether that be an ARM device. It's Kubernetes on the edge. So if I want Kubernetes in my truck, Kubernetes in my restaurant, Kubernetes in my warehouse, you know, I don't want to have to put a rack at a data center up there to do Kubernetes. That's the whole idea behind K3S. So that is not something that we commercially support yet. It's on the roadmap as we get it to the point where we're going to GA that. It's the new version of Kubernetes comes out. We have a whole bunch of scripts we run to tear out the stuff that we did, don't feel is needed, make some modifications because, you know, new APIs, new features, all of that. And then a new version of K3S ships. Longhorn is our distributed block storage software. So that started as a collaboration with a client. We then continued the work on that as an open source project. And that is also now approaching GA. We're actually looking to donate that to the CNCF. There's a pull request out for that as another option for distributed block storage. And again, like everything Rancher does, it has a pretty UI, a nice API, simple to set up. You know, ease of use and user experience are key. That was, you know, two or three developers who have just been working on that and iterating over that pattern for, you know, well over a year now. I'm excited to see that, you know, come to GA. Yeah, sounds great. K3S seems to be like a hit. <laughs> yeah, and check out um, K3D as well. I'm a big Minikube fan because, yeah, that was the best way of doing Kubernetes on my laptop. I've replaced that with K3D mm-hmm. largely, and it's K3S in Docker. It wasn't even started by Rancher. It was started by the community who had adopted K3S and took the Kubernetes and Docker model mm-hmm. and applied it to K3S. So to have K3S in Docker, and it's stupid simple to start up a Kubernetes cluster in Docker containers to do quick and dirty development. Yeah, great. Okay, well, uh, it was a very interesting discussion. We mentioned a number of interesting projects. So RancherCast, uh, one of those, I'm looking forward to seeing more about that reference architecture that you're building. And K3S, uh, Longhorn, and those are the other projects that we can link to from the notes. So yeah, we'll make sure to share those. Well, uh, again, thank you for your time and uh, good luck. Thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. It was. Thank you. Bye.